Welcome to the Exodexa podcast. I am one lucky gal today. I'm Dr. Leah Haynes, and I am here with Nolan Bushnell and Thomas Kalinsky. So I'm with the godfathers of the video game world here. I was one of the parents really mad at you guys because I couldn't get my son to do his homework. But uh, and now I am really thrilled with everything that video games has offered. And one of the things that comes to mind right away is an article uh, that came out this past year about the uh, advantages to brain development for those who children who play video games. And so did you guys know that early on? I had the premonition that it was because my attitude was that, you know, your brain, just like a muscle, does better if you exercise it. And video games give you a lot of problems you have to solve. That's it. It's the rigor, I guess, that really, uh, really helps. Tom, did yeah. you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree with Nolan. I, I, I also thought that it, it, obviously, solving problems is very, very important. But also, find doing problems incorrectly is a learning experience as well. And certainly, you get a lot of that in video games where you aren't successful every single time you play it. And then I, I thought it was really going to interest younger people in technology, you know? Uh, so yeah. kind of an early view on STEM, if you will, on engineering and mathematics and science. And uh, and I think that's all correct. I think we've seen today that it's all correct. Yeah, I know a programmer that doesn't play video games. I, I've always said video games are the training wheels of computer literacy. Yep. So what was your argument with all of those parents back in the day that were really upset that their kids were playing video games all the time? Well, I would say the same thing about that as just about anything else. You can't let kids do too much of any one thing. You don't want them getting crazed over and all they want to do is baseball and ignore every other sport or outdoor activity there is. You want them to do lots of different things. So limit the, I'm sorry that my phone just went off. So limit their time uh, on video games as well. I'm going to turn this off. That was exactly my thing. I said, you know, it's about balance. You know, there was a time where there was a phrase of bookworms where kids were reading too much. <laughs> Would any parent you know, have that as a pejorative now? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and the thing that, uh, that I always felt is that, I, like, I was, I didn't like Grand Theft Auto and the really violent things that sort of taught antisocial behavior. Um, and that was the part where I agreed with some of the naysayers. I'm so happy to hear that because there aren't many people inside the game industry who who will voice that. Where are you on this one, Tom? Yeah, I know. I, I agree with that. Although the the thing that I was, by the way, people used to, when the books, books first became available due to the Guttenberg printing press, people were concerned, oh, the kids are reading too much. Then the comic books came along, oh, comic books are terrible, they're reading too many comic books. Then the radio came along, oh, they're listening to the radio too much. And then TV came along, oh, they're only watching TV. So every new technology has the naysayers that say it's harmful. But I did, in, the, in terms of the video game industry, I felt that we needed to be more than uh, G-rated product, frankly. I felt that if we wanted to expand the industry, we had to get older players, teens, college age, and older. And that's why we did a lot of sports titles, and we did do some fighting titles like Streets of Rage. I didn't do uh, 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 
GTA, but I did others. And I think I turned out to be correct because today the average age of a video game player is 31 and the industry's grown from a $3 billion industry when I was involved to a $240 billion industry and is larger than the movie and music industries combined. And so instead of being just G-rated, we had to be more like Paramount. You know, we had to we had to have G-rated, PG-rated, PG-13, and R-rated product in order to attract a broader audience. So now, what about what about education in video games? So where you know that's where our focus is. What are your uh, what are your thoughts and predictions about that area? Well, the reason I did uh, I did a product called Pico when I was at Sega, which was positioned as the child's first computer. And it really was good at teaching reading skills. Uh, the senior board of directors in Japan didn't really like me doing it because it was so hard to do education properly. But it was using video game technology to make reading and math fun and interesting. So when I left and I joined up, I ended up with LeapFrog, it was the same thing that I was interested in. How do we use video game technology to make learning fun and interesting? And we did. LeapFrog was way ahead of its time in a lot of ways, Tom. I got to hand it to you that. I mean, it was a uh, it was a tour de force for the time frame. What year did it come out? Um, in it, it it came out in 1995, oh. and uh, what people don't realize is that we were, it, a lot of the products we did were actually invented by professors at Stanford University here. In fact, the the dean of the School of Education, Dr. Robert Calfee, really taught us how do you teach reading skills starting with very young children? What does a three-year-old need to know? What does a four-year-old need to know? What does a five-year-old need to know? And then how do we take those things that they should learn, whether it's phonics or CVC words uh, or diphthongs, and how do we make it fun and interesting for them? So they told us what we needed to teach, and then we turned it we tried to make it fun and interesting. And I think we were a little bit ahead of our time. We, we built it to about a $680 million business uh, by 97, 98. So anyway. Well, a little bit of that came from me because both my grandchildren had, uh, had leapfrog. <laughs> so it was a very <laughs> tiny contribution, but I, it was, uh, it was really an effective tool for early teaching. Sorry. Did I hear a doggy? <laughs> You did hear my doorbell. <laughs> she doesn't think anyone should walk by the house without being uh, acknowledged. So <laughs> my apologies. And Nolan. Well, I read, I yeah. read a funny thing that they were talking about dogs. And they said, all dogs perceive that they have jobs to do. <laughs> yes. You know? Yes. Well, she actually does. She got her live her place to live based on a very deep voice and a uh, aggressive sound when someone's on the front porch. So, <laughs> so back to the games, um, Nolan. You know, you've been interested in educational games since way before I came along. You, when you asked me to co-author the book with you, uh, you were already several years into an interest in education. Where, why? I just felt that, of course, having eight kids, you're kind of immersed in the learning kind of world. And, uh, you know, I did, I, I started a summer camp called Cramp Timber Tech, and I ran that for about five years and then sold it. 
and it was combining the outdoor camping experience and we had little huts and you know they did hikes and all that stuff but they also had a two hours a day of uh of learning on the apple and the atari 800 um and uh it was it was pretty successful and then i tried doing an after school program twice uh, at chuck e cheese and uh where you know where i would and and the theory was if i could get the parents to sign their kids up for an app for two hours after school that they in picking the kids up they'd stop and have a pizza <laughs> how'd that work i could never ever get it to to scale enough to where it made sense mm -hmm. and uh i think it was rock time and you know sometimes good ideas at the wrong time turn out to be bad ideas that's and, right uh, and I, I you know you successes have many parents and failures it's it, it have 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 only one so <laughs> i think you're you've been ahead of the technology a few times and i i think of um so brain rush was a great idea that that might have been just a few years before the technology was available to make it scalable i think it was more the thing that has made Exodexa timely is COVID. <laughs> and, and, and I think what, what happened was that parents became aware of how broken the school system is because they had to be up close and personal with it. And I think second, the idea that almost everything can be done online and doesn't have to be in person was a sea change in the way people thought about the world. What do you think about that, Tom? Is that? Oh, I, I, I agree. And, and by the way, the reason I got interested in education was similar to Nolan's experience. I, I only have six kids, so I'm a piker compared to Nolan. But between the two of us, we have enough for almost three basketball teams. But, it, but anyway, I, I served on my local school board, and I would see that the reading scores didn't improve. The math scores didn't improve for third grade and sixth grade. And the teachers were trying their damnedest, but it just wasn't, there was no progress. And then I looked at what the national scores were, and it was the same thing. For 30 years, according to the NAEP scores, reading hadn't improved, math hadn't improved, didn't, didn't matter what grade level you were looking at, there was no improvement. So something, and it was poor. I mean, we were, it was, you know, 60% not reading at grade level, that kind of thing. And so that got me very interested and we've got to, we've got to try to fix that. And so we did it again at Leapfrog. And then I was involved some, with some other companies that uh, Knowledge Universe, which was the entity, the parent company that Mike Milken and Larry Ellison founded. Uh, we did preschools across the country to try to improve preschool learning. We did curriculum companies like Nobel Education and other things, all of all of which were using technology in new and interesting ways to make learning, as I said earlier, more, more entertaining, frankly. And much of the time it did show progress and it did work. I still think we have an awfully long way to go because all the things that I did didn't touch the, you know, didn't touch half the population, much less a hundred percent of the population. So we need to, we need to do a lot more. And so I'm really happy with, uh, 
what Nolan is and you are doing. I mean, it's 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 a wonderful a wonderful mission. You know, I I've often wondered. Oh, and it, incidentally, the test scores didn't move totally independent of how much the school system paid per student. Right. It was it was money independent, and and there's almost nothing no business outcome that that has that characteristic that it's this money independent usually you got you know sometimes you got a little improvement sometimes you got a lot but you got some didn't happen in the schools i mean like i think california spends i think the the low ball is uh you know six thousand dollars a student in arkansas and california is eleven thousand per student New York is 22,000, you know, things like that. And you say, whoa, something's wrong here. So clearly it's, it, we have to do some difference in methodology. Exactly. I think a lot of that money is spent on a system that doesn't work. And so until we address the fact that the system itself is a problem, we, we don't see a lot of change. Yeah, I think that the... Most of the research indicates that if you have great teachers, doesn't matter how much money they're allocated, great teachers can produce much better outcomes. Uh, the problem is how do we get great teachers when so many of them until recently were, were frankly afraid of technology, afraid of using technology. Now I think we're seeing changes occur because it's a younger group that grew up with technology that are becoming becoming teachers. But we still have to do a better job of turning out great teachers, which is another another huge problem of, of how do you do that? Well, there's, there are a couple of statistics that I, I, I blame a lot on the teachers union. You know, I believe that rewards should follow competence and outcomes. Teachers unions don't allow that. There's no way you can bonus a good teacher. Second, there are examples of people that are doing it better. Like the Finland school system is very, very you know, they come out maxing the scores and, and competition all over the place. And they do two things that I think it would be very easy to copy. First of all, they basically have um, voucher programs. People can leave the public school system if they want to. And what that does is it makes the public schools need to compete for competency uh, with the private schools. The second thing they do is they allow kids to really follow their passion so that if they're interested in literature, they can spend 80% of their time in Shakespeare and literature, what have you, if you're interested in science, you can spend 80% of the year there. So they have a flexible curriculum that allows the student to choose the direction where their passions lie. And so th that by itself allows for a higher level of engagement. What amazes me is that Finland always, recently anyway, has the highest percentage of competency in science and math for, again, whatever level you're, you're, you're looking at, uh, grade level you're looking at. And th that to me, it's amazing given that 
the kids don't have to, as Nolan just said, take a whole lot of math or science, but they choose to on their own and they end up becoming very proficient at it. Yeah. You know, it could be saunas. <laughs> I want to go back to something that uh, that you said a minute ago, Thomas, about the uh, technology being, you know, embraced by the younger teachers. One of the things that I've heard, because the, the you know, we've had such a fall off, we, we had gained 300,000 teachers in between 2015 and 2018, and we were starting to, to sort of have what we needed. And then during the pandemic, we lost 700,000 teachers. So we lost oh, a lot more than we had gained. And I'm hearing that the younger teachers who are leaving are leaving because the technology they're asked to use is 20 years behind what they're accustomed to in their personal life. And that's a, you know that's a big challenge with this next generation of teachers. If we can't make the profession a little more uh, current and respected, we are going to continue to lose a lot of the really good teachers. So the older teachers... Not, not only that, not only that, I, I don't know, this is a statistics that I know from several years ago, so I know if it's current, but half of the graduating, the teachers that graduate with an education degree, half of them leave within five years. Yeah. Yeah. That's in the Teach for America students who they, they have a five-year commitment. Generally, at the end of their commitment are off doing something else. And, and yeah. it is, you know, it's in part because teaching is, uh, it's just not keeping up with what technology has to offer. And also, we're still using the same programs we've been using for a hundred years in public education. The same. Wait, maybe I, we don't I was on the board of Cambium Learning for, for years. And to the, one of the problems was you, the decision-making process for buying anything, curriculum, equipment, whatever, for the public school systems, it varies by state, obviously. I mean, but it often it starts with, you know, you got to have state approval, then you got to have district approval, then you got to have local uh, 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 district approval. And, and it, it, we used to have salesmen come in to our office at Cambium Learning and they would say, well, we, we're trying to sell this new technology into uh, Austin, Texas's school district. And I've called on them and I've called on them. I've called on them. And finally, I gave up. Three years later, I got an order. You know, so it's, it takes three years to get to get an order processed successfully. What the heck? I mean, it's pretty tough to keep up with technology if that's the case. Yeah, we don't yeah. have great graduation rates. We don't have we're not graduating kids who are lifelong learners because they've enjoyed the process so much. And so a lot has to change. And I'm counting on minds like yours, Tom and, and uh, Nolan, to, to help make this happen. We're going to give it a hell of a go. <laughs> Absolutely. We cannot give up. Uh, we do see progress every now and then. Mm -hmm. uh, when I mentioned the NAEP scores before, I, I, I like to help think that LeapFrog takes some credit with third grade reading when we were selling three million leap pads a year to basically second and third graders. We saw a small bump in the reading score for the first time in 30 years. So, you know, but the problem is it's, it's, it, 
it, it doesn't hold unless you keep up with the the technology yeah. and offer new products that are just as fun and interesting and curriculum that's fun and interesting. That is our goal at Exodexa. <laughs> right. Yes. Nolan, you were going to say something. No, I was just going to say that I think that um, we can do this. And I think that the AI tutoring may be one of the keys that allows kids who are on the bottom end of the economic ladder to be able to access cheap tutoring to help them through. Because sometimes the kids who are struggling uh, just don't have the resources. And now if we can drop the cost of tutoring by a factor of 10 or 20, all of a sudden that enables a whole bunch of other people. So I, I think that if we can put the proper guardrails on AI, it's, that may be a singularity that can do a lot of things. I agree. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. I think we've probably uh, run out of time on this conversation, but maybe we can have you back again to, to talk. Oh, I'd, I'd love to. There's so much to talk about in, in this area, and it's so important. We, As we said earlier, we can we know we can do better, but we, we've got to keep trying. Well, and also, Tom, you've got the chops. I mean, you've, you know, I can't think of anybody that has done more of, to change education than you have from a technical standpoint. And so I'm just going to be struggling and trying to catch up. Oh, thank you so much. And some people say I've, I've wasted more money trying than anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> thank you both. And thank you out there for watching. <laughs>